G'day and welcome to Overdrive, a program that looks at the latest trends in motoring and transport for serious and not-so-serious issues. I'm David Brown and in this program we have some feedback on our social media posts, including some lovely shots of a 1956 Ford F100 and the most appropriate way the owners use that vehicle. Also there's the Walden Railway, an ultimate failure of a major project in Australia that is covered in two books we've been reading that include some glorious photos of the life and times of this enterprise. We have a two-minute road test on the just-launched Mazda CX-60, which is a medium-sized, a premium SUV with mild hybrid powertrains. And in our feature section, our artist-in-residence, Dean, and our mechanical engineer, Fred, discuss overcoming the resistance of young people to engage in art and the motor car. We also go into detail about the Walgan Railway, as Dean did the drawings for the two books we reviewed. And finally, we do a road test of sorts of the Hyundai Santa Fe Hybrid. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au or our social media, Facebook and Instagram, search for Cars Transport Culture, or indeed our YouTube video site, also under the name Cars Transport Culture. These programs are also podcast on iTunes and Spotify. This program was originally broadcast on the 22nd of July, 2023. We start the program with a little bit of feedback from our social media pages. That's Facebook or Instagram. Just look up Cars Transport Culture. The first is the right car for the right occasion. We put up a picture of a beautifully restored 1956 Ford F100 pickup in bright red. It's a great car to be seen in, but also the owners use it every month when they go rock and roll dancing. And in another post, a little bit of railway history about the Wolgan Railway. Now that's in the Blue Mountains, about 190 road miles west of Sydney. A bit later in the program, we'll talk about that with Dean and Fred. But as background, the scheme envisaged for Nunes, the major township in the area, was probably the largest and most ambitious project in Australia up until that date. The railway was part of a huge project to extract oil from shale. Initial investigations started in the very early 1900s, but the company went broke in the early 1930s. There were several attempts to revive it, but all hope was given up in 1937. We posted some photos from two books written on the railway that was a major part of transporting freight and particularly the oil from the very, very difficult mountainous locations. They needed a very unusual design steam engine, the Shea engine. And there are glorious pictures of official men and women standing beside a big dirty steam engine in business attire. Ladies in long dresses, men in suits, all wearing hats. We'll put some more pictures up on social media from the life and times of this interesting, though sadly, failure of a project. Just go to our Facebook and Instagram pages by looking up 
Cars Transport Culture. This is Overdrive across Australia. Berger has launched an all-electric version of its popular partner delivery van. The e-partner is unique in that it is the only smaller electric delivery van on the market. Priced at just under $60,000 plus the usual costs, the e-partner is offered in a single long wheelbase variant. Powered by a 50 kilowatt hour lithium-ion battery, produces 100 kilowatts of power and 260 newton meters of torque, and has a WLTP range of 258 kilometers. Now, this might not seem like much, but the e-partner is ideal for localised businesses, like a florist, a catering business, takeaway food, parcel or smaller white goods delivery, etc. Small businesses that have an ability for back-to-base deliveries and access to charging facilities will greatly benefit from the smart new van. We drove the Peugeot e-partner on the launch on a city and suburban loop. It was quiet, smooth and responsive. I must admit, I wasn't sure what to expect before I drove the e-partner, but now it all just makes really good sense. This is a Motoring Minute. I'm Rob Fraser. You're listening to Overdrive. Mazda has not given up on the development of internal combustion engines. They've just launched their new CX-60 medium-sized premium SUV. There's a new petrol and diesel engine, but all the models have hybrid powertrains. Let's have a quick look. With the Mazda CX-60, there are three powertrain choices, all with mild 48-volt electric hybrid support. There's two new 3.3-litre inline six-cylinder turbo engines. One's petrol, one's diesel. The third is a plug-in hybrid with a four-cylinder petrol engine. Every model is all-wheel drive. The new six-cylinder engines sound right and perform well. They run freely without a sense of straining. The suspensions give sure-footed road holding, which shows, for example, when overtaking under power. There are three feature variants, the Evolve, the GT and the Azami. The interiors are mature and presentable, although the GT style may show the dirt in the long term. The safety and feature levels are comprehensive, similar to their more serious competitors. The top-spec variant gets cooled seats, for example, which I like for Australian conditions. Now, the Koreans have had that for a number of years, but others are starting to catch up. The head-up display in the CX-60, which is in every model, is excellent. Good information that is presented clearly. They don't have touchscreens. I very much prefer what Mazda do with a dial that moves the indicator on the screen exactly between options. You then just press it to enter. A much better option than stabbing away at a touchscreen. They're not quite there. Well, they're only mild hybrids, so fuel savings are not class leading. The exterior design is not that distinctive, especially at the rear. It's priced from $59,800 to $85,500 plus on-road costs. And the road noise and smoothness are not bad, but not class-leading for the price. And disappointing, well, the integration of the engines, the electric motors and their new 8-speed automatic transmission could be better. At times, particularly in urban low-speed conditions, they clunked into place. This is Overdrive across Australia. Last week I drove the Isuzu D-Max SX High Ride Single Cab Chassis Ute. That's a mouthful. 
It's powered by a 1.9-litre four-cylinder turbo diesel engine. Provides 110 kilowatts of power and 350 newton metres of torque. The version I drove comes with a six-speed manual transmission and is two-wheel drive. Payload is around 1,400 kilograms. Now I gave the SX Isuzu a workout with about 1,200 kilograms of payovers loaded on the back and drove from Sydney to Nelson Bay. It carried the load with ease. With 1.9 litres, the engine was willing and cruised comfortably along the freeway. However, it needed to be worked through the gears on hills. You couldn't be lazy and let the torque carry you. What is impressive is that this entry-level model comes with a multitude of safety features, wireless Apple CarPlay connectivity and auto high beam headlights. At the time of testing, Isuzu has a drive-away special price on this ute of $31,990 and that's stunning value. You're listening to Overdrive. Cars and transport often reflect the zeitgeist, the spirit of the times. And our good friend and artist in residence, Dean Oliver, recently held a workshop on painting. And I wondered whether there might be an opportunity to link it to motoring. Dean joins me on the line now, as does our mechanical engineer, Fred Brain. Gentlemen, good day to you all. Hello. G'day, David. Good to be with you. Dean, the people who came to this workshop, what age group were they? What did they reflect in terms of the uh, current society? I was hosting a, um, a church group for um, a kids club, and um, mostly they were kindy years up to about um, uh, years seven or eight, I suppose. So hmm. I'm looking about six to eight-year-olds, I suppose. A, um, bit of, a bit of a range, yes. Yeah, a reasonable range. And, <laughs> and it, it occurred to me that when I was six or eight, I could have told you pretty much anything about my dad's car, you know, right? principally whether or not it was a Ford or a Holden. And, hmm. uh, and I probably could have even had I probably would have even had a few statistics about it as to why my dad's car was the best. Of course. But I was interested to see that these kids, really are not interested in cars, not at all. Now, what you actually brought along a, a mould a, a, of something for them to paint. What was that? Oh, yes. Well, the, the, the theme of the day was, uh, was pirates. And so uh, my job was to um, interest the kids in painting a pirate ship mm. uh, or making and decorating a treasure chest. And mm. uh, uh, painting the pirate ship, oh, there's a little bit of interest in that. The treasure chest was much more interesting, I think. Uh, oh. The sense of treasure, you know. Um, everybody, everybody you know, all kids like the thought of uh, finding a treasure chest. These days, I think kids might expect to find Bitcoin in it rather than uh, gold uh, or Spanish doubloons. <laughs> I was going to say an Xbox or something. That would be the <laughs> treasure, wouldn't yes, it? Yes, yeah. But they were a great, great bunch of kids. And, um, but yeah, I was surprised that. Um, uh, we did talk a little bit about cars, but now car kids today are not interested in motoring. No, they can tell you all about the connectivity of the cars. My dad's car's got Apple CarPlay or Android, whatever. Um, but uh, yes, ask them about uh, uh, carburetors or fuel injection systems. And I don't know; they just don't seem to have any knowledge. Well, I think we have a I think we have a role here, Dean, of trying <laughs> to bring them on. Thing instead of having a mould of a pirate ship. Uh, the link to the biblical stories I'm not sure of, but the perhaps we could have had a car. Dean, you could have had a mould of a Datsun 1600 and then regaled them with stories of your rally days. Uh, <laughs> but do, do you think they, that might have captured their attention? 
Oh, for probably only two or three seconds, I'd say, David. Yes, yeah. I don't know. Young kids today just have no knowledge of great automotive uh, design like the Datsun 1600. Fred, Fred, I thought the alternative then might be to have a Monaro and, uh, you know, because it's got a certain amount of flowing style to it. You've raced and still do race uh, 69 Monaro. Do you think that might capture their attention? I think they'd be equally mystified by that as well, uh, including probably including the activities we used to do in them, like the Datsun. They'd say, uh, you did what? You went out in forests in the middle of the night? <laughs> why? <laughs> yeah, why? <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't it have been better in the day? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Didn't, did you get any phone reception when you were out there? Could you still get onto Facebook? <laughs> Fred, that reminds me of the story that they might not have recognised the car some years ago now. Uh, we went in the East Coast Classic with the Monaro and we were in Oberon and we met a young lad there. What was his response to your car? <laughs> he, uh, he, um, I'm trying to remember how he started it off, but... Um, I, I think he was mystified what it was. He, mm. he didn't recognise it, and that's when we pointed out, well, it was uh, came out probably quite a long time before he was born. <laughs> and what did he say? And then he, he pointed out he was 15 or there. No, <laughs> or was it 15 or a bit less than that? Something like that, <laughs> indignantly. Oh. I remember, I remember him saying, oh, I'm 13 or 15, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can't be that old, surely. <laughs> well, it, it's a marvellous that he didn't think anything could have happened in the world before that time. Yeah, yeah. It that was, was about, I think that was 2002, so the car was, uh, what, 32 years old at that point. <laughs> 2002. Oh, good grief. Yeah, long ago. Yeah. I do remember also over on there, I may have mentioned the story before, where the Catholic priest came along, but fortunately yeah. he was a Holden fan, not a Ford fan. Uh, so he blessed the car, didn't he? he yeah, a... which, which probably helped because we did get to the finish. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's a miracle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> For, fortunately, it wasn't a Ford car or he would have had to do an exorcism. <laughs> but, uh, Dean, what, what colours came out in the painting of the pirate ships? Uh, pir- um, uh, primary colours, David, um, yes, yes, red, yellow, uh, blue and an occasional um, uh, secondary green, which was pretty exciting, yeah. Uh, much more exciting than the dreary lot of colours that cars are these days. Absolutely. Kids do still like colour. I I was so pleased to see the kids do still like colour. That's great. Uh, I think pink was a subject of discussion. Uh, (laughs) Yes, you're right, David. It was interesting listening to the conversation um, on my table of six- and seven-year-olds, and... um, yeah, Pirates got a bit of a go, as did Pirates of the Caribbean in the movie, but the topic of conversation was Barbie. <laughs> There's the link. There's the link, pink cars. Now, she drives a convertible. Fred, you drive in historic races. Maybe we might get a, an, a Thunderbird convertible, get a model of that and get them to paint it pink, Dean, and there's the link. They will <laughs> then start to ask what cars that and what it's about. Fred, is that the sort of convertible that might be appropriate? Given the era it goes back to, um, yeah, that could get them interested because at least it's a different looking car to current cars too. So, oh, okay, for the distinctive. Yeah, yeah. But um, there's also the 
course, the uh, the pink convertible in Thunderbirds oh, in years right. gone by, which is... Uh, oh, think, Thunderbirds. Thunderbirds a go. Exactly. The one Lady Penelope gets chauffeured around in. And I think I think I even replay Thunderbirds on TV at times. Even no, though no, dear, we are showing our age. Yeah, <laughs> we are, yeah. I was going to say, gentlemen, if, in fear of losing them before, we've now just got, they've gone right out the door. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, David, I was, I was really interested during the week you posted on your excellent Facebook page a shot of a Monaro, a GTS Monaro taken in, I guess, the early 70s by the side of the road, hitched up to probably a Viscount caravan. Oh, yeah, that's right. And I thought, what a great way to go on a holiday. Uh, they had sort of too much weight. On the back of the Monaro, I think it was sort of pointing sort of skyward uh, in in doing that. But yes, Monaros have been around for a while, and of course, uh, so have pink cars. I put up a post that you mentioned on the site of a pink car. I'd seen a picture of a pink Mustang, and I thought it was somewhat incongruent. Then people began to write in. Now, there's a whole pile of things. There is, of course, a famous song. Bruce Springsteen had a pink Cadillac, and the chorus goes, I love you for your pink Cadillac, crushed velvet seats, riding in the back, oozing down the street, waving to the girls, feeling out of sight, spending all my money on a Saturday night. Honey, I just wonder what you do there in the back of your pink Cadillac. Not exactly high level of uh, poetic writing, but nonetheless, it was part of the zeitgeist back then. Of those days, yes, yeah. I'm thinking there were some pretty pretty dreadful pink colours in, I think you could get a sort of pink Tirana at the time. Oh, yes. Yeah, that next you. Yeah, pink pink yeah. was a favourite colour for XU1s, wasn't it? It was, and it was pretty dreadful, yes, yeah. yeah and I, it yeah. had a name, didn't it? There was candy apple green and what was the yeah, pink? There was, a, there was a metallic pink, which was called orchid, and then there was a flat mid sort of pink, which was really yeah. hideous. And yeah. I don't remember its name, but, yes, I do remember seeing some pretty extraordinary XU1 yeah. Tiranas in that colour. It did suit the car, I reckon, especially when you had the black black paint outs here and there. It, it actually kind of looked the part for that era and that type of car. Sorry, Fred, you've taken on a character that I hadn't associated with you in, in any way. I wouldn't necessarily have one myself, but <laughs> I thought they did actually have something going on. Yeah, what you're saying, Fred, is there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> now, you know, of course, uh, Mary Kay made pink convertible Cadillacs, very part of a, the, our history in that. She went to a Ford dealer to get a Lincoln and she wanted to make a statement, right? She was doing cosmetics. And so every salesperson that sold more than $100,000 a year in goods would get a car. So she was going to make them special cars and was going to be a pink Lincoln. And the dealer, so according to, might be apocryphal and that, but he did say something like, you know, something very uh, patronising, dear little lady, go home and get your husband, and when you come back, we'll get you into that Lincoln. So she went to a General Motors dealer and got a Cadillac. And so pink convertible Cadillacs, and then later pink Cadillacs in general, uh, got this huge, great publicity, very clever, for Mary Kay's cosmetics. It's very clever stuff. The first thing that comes to my mind, Dave, when you mentioned the pink Cadillac would be a uh, an open Cadillac with the cow horns on the bonnet. 
I'm thinking of sort of Rodeo <laughs> Drive in, uh, is that Los Angeles or somewhere in Las Vegas outside a casino? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, Dean, we need to Americanize that. It's Rodeo, they would call it. That's like Monero and Monaro, isn't it? Indeed. Some people get it wrong, and clearly the Americans have. Well, gentlemen, uh, there's a chance for us to try and uh, get young people involved in motoring and uh, link it to art as well. <laughs> Dean, when you're there, you did some drawings for two lovely uh, books on the, talking about transport, the railways around the, what is it, Walgan Valley? Walgan Valley Railway, um, which is in New South Wales, um, sort of... Uh, Northish of of Lithgow, it's very very inaccessible mountainous uh, country, which is now part of the national park. Yes, yeah, so, uh, it was um, a historical site of an early attempt to mine oil shale in uh, in Australia. That was a very unfriendly environment, wasn't it? Hilly and oh, incredibly steep. It was um, you know like if if anyone's familiar with uh, the Blue Mountains topography in New South Wales, you're talking about sheer sandstone cliffs of, uh, you know, 100 metres of height and uh, really inaccessible, narrow, inaccessible uh, valleys. And they were faced with this very large deposit of um, oil shale that they could extract uh, kerosene and petroleum products from, but uh, the difficulty of getting the the stuff out. And so um, it was, you know, a tremendous, it was a triumph of um, railway engineering to design a railway to uh, transport the material out of such a steep, uh, difficult valley. The book by Hicks and O'Brien described it as the valley is shut in by high, inaccessible cliffs, towering some 300 metres above the narrow floor with its winding streams of permanent water. Access was possible at a few places, but these were only bridle tracks. Mm. Now, that made then for very tight, twisting railway line which needed a certain engine yeah my understanding is that uh, in those days well uh, there was the the um, great uh, new south wales design engineer designer of railways henry dean was his name and um he was able to design a railway in and out but it had exceptionally tight uh turns very tight radius uh, uh sharp corners to to get in and out and there was only one locomotive, I think, which was uh, an American Shea design, which uh, uh, they, they were shorter sort of wheelbase locomotives uh, powered by uh, like a, a cog mechanism, a differential and a cog mechanism rather than the rotating, the large rotating um, uh, steam train engines that we're mostly familiar with. And these these locomotives uh, could negotiate the really tight curves and uh, and so uh, Dean was able to to design an extraordinary railway uh, uh, in and out of the place. He was uh, you know, a descendant of that great generation of engineers, of Victorian-era engineers, uh, which was uh, quite extraordinary. Fred, you would like the look of the Shea engine. It's got three cylinders that are vertical, like a three-cylinder inline car engine, that are quite visible on the side. It then powered down to a long connecting rod, which along each end then, to when it got to each end, there was a cog which drove. Now, that, as Dean said, it had bogies rather than a stiff frame, so it could get round corners. 
I'm not sure you'd want to race one, but... Uh... <laughs> no, perhaps not, but... Uh... We're in perilous uh, territory here uh, discussing uh, the intricacies of steam locomotives, and uh, I know you're bound to get deluged by uh, <laughs> by hate mail from, from steam train enthusiasts <laughs> yes, <laughs> protesting yes. the incredible ignorance that we three have of... Uh, <laughs> of these wonderful uh, steam locomotives. <laughs> Get ready. I, I just like to think we're the conduit between them and the seven-year-olds. That's all I'm trying to be. <laughs> A great comparison, David. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> There's some lovely photos of, of cars, transport, culture. Is there our uh, Facebook site? So I'd have a look at that if you want to see some glorious old pictures See, isn't it old now? Because this is, went up to about the Second World War, and I'm thinking that's not far away. Well, of course, that's over 70 years, nearly 80 years away. Yeah, so I think, David, the whole process de- demanded continued use of kerosene, and uh, um, after years around World War Two and following World War Two, I think you know the great oil industry, petroleum industry, then just took over and... Uh, Whilst it was the industry was close to Sydney, I think the management of it it was run by by stubborn English engineers who uh, insisted on doing it their way uh, rather than the more practical ways. They had the same approach to uh, generals and that in war. Ah, uh, yeah, maybe so. Yes. Mm, which didn't <laughs> help. Which, Dean, you had a quick drive of the Hyundai Santa Fe Hybrid. Did you feel the hybrid or did it sort of merge well? Yes, David, it was a very enjoyable uh, couple of days with the Santa Fe hybrid and um, I, I really enjoyed it. It's got excellent performance. Uh, the EV mode is very cleverly done. It integrates beautifully with the 1.6-litre turbocharged petrol engine and um, the change um, from the EV mode to the petrol mode is almost imperceptible. There's a faint, a slight buzz from the, the petrol engine when it's, when it's working, but uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, excellent performance, uh, quite sprightly. It's quite smart off the line for a big car. We're talking here about a large SUV. Uh, did you at times uh, hesitate to take it out in case you had to park it at the shop? <laughs> uh, visibility is actually pretty good, but as a driver of a small, much smaller uh, sort of uh, Subaru Forester thing, yes, look, I was, I was very careful. There's there's a lot of uh, material, a lot of uh, metal there to to be careful of, but visibility is good. It's got an excellent 360 degree um, um, camera, and um, yeah, it, I mean, there's three rows of seats you could. You know, it, it's a six, even a seven-seater, but uh, the third row at the back is not really for adults. It's strictly kids only, and uh, I think uh, there's not a lot of room for luggage if you're using um, all three rows of seats. When Evan drove it on the launch, he felt that uh, he was just surprised at how quiet it was. Very quiet. Gentlemen, always lovely to talk to you. Fred, thank you for your time, and uh, I'll let you get back to repairing the Monaro. <laughs> Tell you what, paint it pink and we might make a sponsorship deal here. <laughs> That's okay, yeah. <laughs> mm, I'll think about that. By the way, that colour was called Strike Me Pink on the Tirana. <laughs> Strike Me Pink, yeah. Strike Me Pink, yeah. Right. <laughs>
It was a time, wasn't it, where bright colours. Now, I drove the new uh, Hyundai Kona the other day and you could get one very lime, rich lime, greeny, yellow colour on it, uh, along with, Dean, as you mentioned earlier, the usual, well, must say bland sorts of colours of silver and black. And I just wonder whether that may take off. Yeah, the Hyundai also in the N range, they've got that sort of duck egg blue colour with the red stripe here, which I'm growing to appreciate. It's very interesting that it becomes their distinctive colour for their performance. It's exclusive to the performance, but you can get other colours on the performance car as well. Hmm. Yeah, so colours are an interesting thing. Perhaps we might pontificate on that at a later date. As I say, gentlemen, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, David. Okay, see you later. And that is Dean Oliver, our artist in residence, and Fred Brain, our historic racing and mechanical engineer who pedals around in an old Monaro. <laughs> Maybe pedalling would be fast. <laughs> and it'd help. Think about that. Yeah, it wouldn't hurt. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> and this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Dean Oliver, Fred Brain and Mark Wesley for their great help with this program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au or our socials and podcasts. Search for Cars Transport Culture. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. <laughs>